Hey, please open your Bibles this evening again to the book of Acts chapter 5 and verses 41 and 42. Uh, I guess this really would be an expected sequel given the fact we have the same text and the same title, right? So we're okay with that. Acts chapter 5 verses 41 and 42. We read, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we look to you this evening uh, for your grace and for your guidance in your, into your word. We pray that you would show us a truth that we need for our lives. We pray that you would establish in your truth. We pray you're leading in all that we do this evening, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We saw the last time the book of Luke closed with these, closes with these verses, and then, then said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. In the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 8, we find the apostles with the Lord, and pretty much it goes over the same ground, and the Lord speaks to them and says, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to that most part of the world. And so the question comes, thus the title, the expected sequel. If we just read these passages, the question would come to mind, well, then what happened? Uh, okay, we, 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 got the, we got the message, we got all of that. So then what's the next step? How did this turn out? Uh, so we basically have here a mission statement. We have a mission statement, and we'll talk about that for a second. Uh, in our town where we, Sherry and I worked for many years, the town of Deruta, the uh, town hall was called Il Comune, uh, I, it's where you went up there for all your paperwork and all that, and I still have my identity card. I had to renew my identity card back in 2018. I still have it, and there it is, valid through 2028, and it says here, my hair is brizzolati, meaning it's graying. Now, <laughs> that much I knew. And it tells me where it says where I'm born, has a, has a nice little picture of me and all that. If you want to see it someday, I'll show it to you. Uh, but going into the town hall, going into this comune, uh, it was a beautiful building. The, the arches, the arch ceilings, like hundreds of years old. Uh, how many town halls can vaunt having a document that goes back celebrating the coronation of Napoleon at Milan, May 26th, 1805? I mean, there it was, right there on the, top, on the wall. Now, this place did not have a mission statement as such, but I, so I imagined one to my heart. I understood what their mission statement really was. Every time I walked out of that building, I knew what their mission statement, it was simply this. We guarantee that your day will not go better the moment you leave these premises. I knew that was their statement. Uh, mission statements, uh, life is good, has a mission statement, to spread the power of optimism, okay? Honest tea, to create and promote great-tasting, healthy, organic beverages. Anybody hear of honest tea? Okay, well, there you go. Uh, Jet blue, to inspire humanity both in the air and on the ground. That's our mission statement. Duncan, 
Everything we do is about you. We strive to keep you at your best. This is folks who are making donuts, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and we remain loyal to you, your taste and your time. That's what America runs on. Hmm, okay. Uh, the Lord gave mission statements oftentimes to Israel and at different times in various books and various moments. Uh, I think Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 encapsulate uh, many of these uh, ideas. Keep them and do them, for they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of peoples, who when they hear of all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to them as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I set before you today? In short, God was saying, your purpose in life is to draw people to me. Your this is your mission statement. The Lord Jesus had a mission statement for himself. He tells us, the Lord, the Son of Man has come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He didn't come to establish a hospital, build a school, build nothing of the sort. He came to die. And Jesus also said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. We say, Lord, what is your mission statement? Well, there it is, very plain. Uh, the Lord gives us a mission statement. And I always took this when we were overseas. I took this as our mission statement. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So our goal is not simply to win souls. That's, that's great. But the, per but the ultimate goal is to present each one mature, grown in the Lord Jesus. That becomes really our purpose as individuals and as a church. Acts chapter 5 and verses 41 and 42, uh, it speaks in this fashion. They were not ceasing. They were never stopping teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. Folks, go back chapter 5 and verse 40. Look what just happened. Chapter 5 and verse 40. And when they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then we read they did not cease. They were never ceasing. They were just humiliated. They were just threatened. They were just pummeled. And what do they do? They walk out and they do the very opposite of what they were just beaten for doing. They, and it says they were not ceasing. In short, they weren't waiting for a favorable time. They were not doing this occasionally. They were not doing from every, uh, when, it, when, when the weather was blowing nicely. It was not intermediate, intermittent. It was a continuous, it was a continuous mission, it was a continued call. This was their statement. The apostles, the believers, are going about this expected sequel. And here it is, right there. Uh, they were teaching and preaching. One of my teachers, when I was at Bob Jones, Otis Holmes, quoted one of his teachers saying, well, when you preach, you teach, and when you teach, you preach a little bit. Keep them, keep them all together. Teaching. What is teaching? Is to cause to know, to impart information, to impart needed information. We can teach a lot, and it's absolutely useless. I mean, people are, we are filled with trivia. We have PhDs in piffle, and we have nothing to really to show for it. But teaching that which is important, uh, years ago, two, two contacts were from Albania, Perlet and Nejdet. 
and we were talking, and we were, and I was quoting a verse from him: "What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul?" And he stopped me, and he said, "What's a soul?" This man had grown up in Albania under communism, and he stopped and said, what, what, what do you mean by this? What is this? Imparting knowledge. I'm not going to tell you what the answer is. That's another question. But imparting important knowledge. We read in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, a whole year at Antioch. They met a whole year, and they taught the people. Same word. They taught the people. At Corinth, for a year and a half, they were teaching the word of God. The book of Acts closes, chapter 28, the last verse at Paul. So we go from Jerusalem, we go from Jerusalem to Antioch, to Corinth, to everywhere they went, and it closes at Rome. And it speaks of this, and Paul, for two years, was teaching the matters concerning the kingdom of God. Teaching, informing, letting people know, passing on information. Folks, we've been saved. You realize you have a reservoir of information that most people have, don't have? You are a walking, seriously, you are a walking encyclopedia of Bible knowledge. And you have absolutely so much information that people need to know. Valuable information that people have not the slightest idea. We would think it, well, we've heard this so many times. People don't know. <laughs> we live, as Francis Schaeffer said, in a post-Christian world, preaching. And then we're talking about also they were preaching the word of God. The word is from euangelizo, meaning Good announcing, announcing well, anything, any word with the word EU at the beginning simply means good. Eunice or whatever uh, means good. Uh, Proverbs 20, 20, 25, 25, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Heaven's, heaven gave us good news. Heaven gives us good news and says, you, we can be dispensers, distributors of this good news, of letting people know there is hope out there. There is great hope out there to a world that's really floundering and just falling apart and collapsing right before our very eyes. Uh, the scriptures speak of how they went about doing this. They would go to, we see Peter, his call, when he spoke with Cornelius and his friends, and he spoke with Cornelius, his relatives, and all those people that came. And he was standing, and he gives them information, and then he puts the appeal out there that you can be saved through this one I'm preaching to you. We find Paul at Antioch in chapter 13. He was announcing in the synagogue, and he makes the final appeal. You can be justified by this one. The law's not going to do it for you. Moses is not going to do it for you. But this one can justify you and save you from all, all your sins. And they That was great news. Those people were probably sitting there wondering, how do we go about this? Religious but lost. Preaching and teaching. And the subject matter, we went over this last time, the subject matter is Jesus Christ himself. The highest, the best, the most sublime subject of all time. It doesn't, we don't go any better than Christ. When we talk about Jesus, we are on sacred ground. That is holy ground right there. We talk about him and we talk about, and we lift him up. Because Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And it's a wonderful subject. It's and this is who it's all about. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, justified by faith. We have peace with, there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. I get a kick out of telling people that. I mean, it just kind of sends a thrill up me. I love telling people that there is no condemnation. It was all, it was all put upon Christ our Savior. That is our subject. And then we have the second point, 
we look at our subject, we just went through that, our strategy, our strategy. Uh, the Greek word for, the word for strategy comes from a Greek word, strategia. Kind of sounds familiar, huh? Uh, it's not in the Greek New Testament. It's not, in the, it's not in our New Testament. But there are 10 words, there are 10 words in the New Testament that have that same S, we'll transliterate, S-T-R-A-T, those five letters, the first five letters, like strategy. They all come from the military, the world of the military. Every one of them comes from the, from the military environment. And so when you look at this word strategy, what does it mean? It's, they use it in this fashion. It's a plan of action. Okay, wait a minute. The plan of action or a policy to achieve a major or an overall goal. That's our interpretation. Their interpretation of it was, it's the art of a troop leader. The art of a troop leader, a general command general planned to achieve a long-term goal under conditions of uncertainty. How do we go about doing this? We don't know what's, how it's gonna work out. We don't know all the conditions, so how do we go about our strategy to achieve our mission statement to cease, to not to cease, never ceasing, teaching and preaching Jesus Christ? So it becomes a unified movement composed of individuals. We see individuals, and we're together. We're, there is a unity, there is a one mindset. And, and we look at this, we look at this passage, it's not optional. This is not an accessory. Teaching and preaching without ceasing Jesus Christ is not what we do occasionally. It is not a possibility. It's not something we do. It is real. What is the first, op what is the first part of our strategy? It's prayer. It's prayer. The Lord had had a busy day, and there were all these folks, all these people were just gathered there. And Jesus looks up, he looks out, and he sees these people, and he saw the crowds. And he has compassion because they are harassed, helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Bad news. Well, what do we do? We go out and we work with, huh, what? He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And what's the answer? Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. It begins with prayer. It starts with prayer. Every movement, spiritual movement, whatever we undertaking, endeavor, it's going to begin right here. It's going to begin with prayer to cease. We just can't do it on ourselves. We don't have, we'll see this a little bit later, we don't have the energy. <laughs> we don't have the stamina. We don't have the, I don't care how many push-ups you do or how many miles you run, seeing the, seeing the multitudes, it's not going to be a physical effort. Acts chapter 4, go back in Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. The first menace, the first threat to this church, to the, to the growing, to the beginning church, Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said. And when they heard it, <clears throat> they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What did they do? They said, we were told to stop. They go back, they tell the church, they tell their friends, and what do they go about doing? Well, they didn't call a council. They didn't go in to say, what are the ramifications of all of this? What are the possibilities? They said, God, help us. Lord, you hear what they say. You heard this whole deal. 
Now we need you. This is your will. This is your mission statement. This is what you want done. Will you, we need your help. Again, it goes in and look. And when they finished praying, the word of God says that place was shaken. It was moved. It was God blessed that prayer because they were praying according to what, what the Lord wanted. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2 tells us, continue in prayer. Verse 3, pray for us that God may open door for us to, for the word of God to declare the mystery of Christ. God opened the door. Doors are going to be closed. <laughs> we live in a world with closed doors. We live in a world with closed hearts. We can't reach them unless God blesses. And we need really God's power for it. And it's only come by prayer. Whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and you got it. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. You know, so come to pass while they are praying, I will hear and while they're yet speaking, I've got it. I've understood. I've already answered that. And folks, we need to pray for, pick up people that you know. Pray for them your relatives, your friends, co-workers, really, when we start praying for people, we will have a burden for them. And we'll start having a concern for them. That's the first part of the strategy, how we're going to divide something in little pieces. Second part, second part is prayer. Second part is faith in his word, faith in the Lord's word. Jeremiah 23 and 29 says, my word, is it not a fire? My word, is it not a hammer? Fire, it's powerful. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, I made a mistake. When we first arrived in Italy, I was involved in sort of an academic world, and I tried to be very uh, philosophical with people and tried to kind of reason people into the word, into him. It doesn't work. <laughs> It was a total failure. It did not work. What does work? The scriptures. <laughs> the word of God is really what works. Uh, we read this evening in First uh, Peter 1.23, they were born by the word of God. And the word of God endures forever. It's quick and powerful. James 1.18 says, we have been brought forth by the word of truth. We've been brought forth by the word of truth. The classic passage, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. He doesn't promise that for any other path or any other source. He doesn't promise it for philosophy or being trying to be reasonable or trying. No, it's word of God is going to be powerful. It's the gospel that's going to be powerful. We've got to trust him. We've got to trust him in that. He, he, uh, Romans chapter 10 speaks of whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's true. That's very true. But how shall they believe unless they've heard? And how shall they hear unless someone is sent? And how, and faith comes by hearing, the conclusion of the whole matter. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ, hearing the word of God. No one is being saved unless that person comes under the sound of the word of God. <laughs> no one. Uh, people say, well, I had this vision. I say, well, <laughs> I'm sure there was a nice vision and all that. I'm sure you really enjoyed it but you're not saved because of it. You've had a great experience. I'm sure it was a wonderful experience. I'm sure it was very delightful and very pleasing, but you're not saved because of it. If there's no scripture involved in that testimony, it's a blank testimony. It's, it's a dud. 
No one is saved without Christ. No one, no one saved without hearing about Jesus and knowing who he is and knowing how he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Acts chapter 17 and verse 3. I'm not putting it up on the screen. You're going to have to look for it. Acts chapter 17 and verse 3. They come to Thessalonica. Uh, they come to Thessalonica, and what goes on? Chapter 17 and verse 3. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this is the Christ whom I proclaimed unto you. And, ver and the verse 2 starts, and he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Reasoning is good, as long as we're having people look at the word of God while we're reasoning, and saying, here is the proof text, here is what the word of God is saying on this matter. Pass down to chapter 17 and verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. It is no, we have no fear at all if someone says, let me read this by myself. And I will say, good for you. Take it home and read it for yourself. Don't look at the notes at the bottom of the page. You read what that scripture says, and you let that sink into your heart. We have no, I have no fear of all of anybody reading the word of God. I want them to. We want them to because that's how their faith is going to come about. This word of God is, we have faith. We have faith. We trust in it. We, open, we pray. First part of the strategy. And secondly, when I'm witnessing the people, I want people to look at that verse. I want to say it at best. I want to at least say it. But then I, if it, I really, my desire is to have that person read that verse for himself and read it out loud to say, now what do you read? Faith in the word of God. That's part of the strategy. Third part of our strategy, recognize the urgency. Recognize the urgency. When the Lord was in Samaria, he was talking to one person, one. He talked to that woman about her need and the true believer, then she got the idea, she, the light was coming on, runs back to the village to call everybody else to see if she could draw some people out. While she's gone, the apostles pull in. They have a little discussion like what's going on and such. And the Lord says, lift up your eyes and look in the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I just have this picture in my mind as he's saying that. He's looking at the people from Samaria coming to him. And he's kind of pointing at them and said, there's the field right there. There's your field. It's coming. Lift up your eyes and look in the fields. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to read an extension. I'm going to read a long portion if, with your permission or without. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, it speaks, and Paul speaks of himself. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I become as a Jew, to, to order to win the Jews. To those under the law I become as under the law, though not un, under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I become weak, that I might gain the weak. I become all things to all people, that by some means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in the blessings. We want people to participate. And he said, whatever it takes. Now, he's not talking about compromise here. Uh, 
Galatians kind of covers that subject very nicely. He's not talking about compromising the gospel. He's not talking about watering down the gospel or diluting it or making it acceptable. He's not talking about that. But he is saying, as far as reasonable can go, as far as I can possibly accommodate others in whatever possible environment, I'll do that so that I can win them. Folks, that's urgency. That is a sense of urgency. He goes on at the end of chapter 10 and verse 33, the same book of 1 Corinthians. Just as I do try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that, but that of many that they might be saved. It's not about us. It's about the other person. Whatever I, whatever I can, how can I adapt myself biblically without compromise to reach that person? That's urgency. That's a sense of emergency right there. He's not referring to compromise, for sure. Uh, we speak of urgency also because, where's that hourglass when I need one? <laughs> I didn't want to see the hourglass talk about, this, about the system, but what's inside an hourglass? Sand. Okay, if I would turn it over, what would happen? The sand would fall, right? Meaning that when, it's, when that sand is down, the hour's up. Folks, time's expiring. Uh, we talk about the Lord coming. We, say, we always say, I hope the Lord comes back, and we do. I'm one of them. I would love it for the Lord to come back now. But means, though, then Jesus also said, the night comes, the night will come when no one can work. John 9, 4. There will be a time when what we're doing, what we are trying to accomplish, time's going to be over. <laughs> There is a sense of urgency, there's a sense of this is the bottom of the ninth inning and we need what we're gonna do, we gotta do it now. There is that sense of emergency, really, it's, the alarm is running. Second, we find part of our strategy also, very simple, trust him. Trust him. First step, there is always a need to take a first step. I praised the Lord uh, years ago when I was first saved, the church I was up in Maryland, there was an assistant pastor there, took me under his wings, and he helped me out. He said, this is how you talk. And I, he put up sort of a, uh, a scaffolding around my life and said, this is, these are some steps, how we go about this. Because I had not the slightest idea. I was sort of a stumbling, I was a stumble bum. I probably still am in some ways, but he taught me the first steps on how to talk about Christ. It doesn't come, you know, you know how do we do this? The first step. The first step really is to trust him. The first step is to say, I want to do this. <laughs> I see that I'm, I need this in my life. There, we have tracks. You can give somebody a track. You can pray for someone. You can make a, vis a first step. And then you know what happens? You'll take a second one. And then you'll feel kind of pretty good about it. Then you'll take a third one, then a fourth one, then a fifth one. But it all starts with a step to say, I need this in my, I need this urgency. I want to trust God's word. I'm going to pray about this. The first step. We expect God to bless. We expect God to bless. Where I work, where I minister, honestly, I go in. I want God to bless. <laughs> I really walk in. I'm expecting God to do something. I I pray for that, I want that, and this is my heart, and I, I thank, you for your thank you for your praying for me this morning. I really appreciate that, I need it. Thank you for the prayers. But when you walk into a place, 
really think God's going to do something wonderful today. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be wonderful because his word will not return void. It will not. He guarantees that. Lovely promise. We are to, scriptures tell us, we go out and we scatter the word of God. The sower went out to sow. If the sower is not sowing, is he a sower? <laughs> if the seed stays in the bag, it's not being sown. And so the seed has to go out. Will it, will it be resolved? Not necessarily, but we are to sow. That's our part. What happens after that? The Bible tells us we are to be fishermen. We are to be fishers of men. I'm not a fisherman, a real fisherman. I don't do that. Uh, if there are real fishermen here, do you catch fish every time you go out? Don't tell me yes, please. You'll rule, you'll rule, you'll rule my example. <laughs> but I would imagine people, they're sort of failing, failing days. The apostles had bad days. They went out and they didn't catch any fish. But for sure, if we're not catching, we're to be catching. We're to be out fishers of men. The scriptures tell us that we are co-laborers with Christ. I, I don't know if there's a better way we can put that. Co-labor with the Lord? That's, that's kind of a, it's exciting right there. We look at this and say, we are ambassadors for him, pleading with people to get right with God. This is what, where the Lord's calling us. This is a part of our strategy, to be trusting him, that if we obey him, if we trust him, trust He's going to do so. He will use his word. That may not be in this moment. It may not be in this second, but it will be down the road. Uh, it will be down the road. There will be results. People have sown. People have fished. And guess what? Ten years later, somebody else comes in and does the, does the reaping, does the harvesting. Know something else about this. A changed life. Changed life is part of our strategy. Go back. Back again, chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 11. Uh, Brother Coleman mentioned this this morning in the message. Shame on him for doing that, but <laughs> no, I've got to repeat repetition. Chapter 4 and verse 11. Here, here Peter and John are speaking, and John chapter 4, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone which we was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. Wonderful. For there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized they had been with Jesus. A changed life. A changed life is part of the strategy to say, Lord, change my life that people can recognize that there is this sort of a this sense of this person has been with the Lord and knows what he's talking about, and Christ has been good to my life, and what we have, what God has given to us, you need to have, they need to have. The power of a changed life. Philippians 1.27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In short, we die to ourselves. If we're living for ourselves, we cannot produce fruit. The Lord said, except the grain die, it, can, it remains alone, but when it dies, it brings forth fruit. When we abide in Christ, we bring forth fruit, a changed life. And, it's, and, and to be faithful in the matter, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it's required in stewards that a one be found what? Faithful. Not powerful, not, not wonderful. God chooses the weak, God chooses the small, God chooses the insignificant, but he doesn't choose unfaithful people. He will choose the ones that are faithful and say, this is the one. And God says, just be consistent. 
We want our lives to be changed, to, be, to have the shows of consistent, looking to the Lord uh, for his grace, really, in all the matters. There's one more truth about our strategy, involved in a local church, involved in a church. Involved in a church. Uh, the word church in the New Testament is used often for the body of Christ, the whole body of Christ, the universal body of Christ, and we accept that. I believe in that. But the vast majority of the word, time we find the word church in the New Testament, you know what it's talking about? This, the local church. The vast majority of ver- references to the church are often, are all to the, new, the local church. Uh, chapter 12 and verse 5, when Peter was captured, what's it, who was praying for him? It says, the church gathered, they met, and they prayed for him. Chapter 13, look, chapter 13, Acts, we're staying in Acts, chapter 13, and verses 1 and 2. Now there, okay, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, notice, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch of Saul. And while they were worshiping, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. They were in the church, and this is where God called them. They weren't at some parachurch organization. Hey, look, I belong to one. I'm, I'm, I'm a member of a mission board. My mission board doesn't send me. My church sent me. I was under the authority of my church. The church was, I was responsible to my, I still am responsible to my churches. Uh, the Lord loves and builds his church. <laughs> uh, oftentimes when I talk with folks or I minister, I will tell them, if you're not in a local church, if you're not a member of a church, you will be back here eventually. Guaranteed. Write it down. You have to be a member of a church. You got to be involved in a local church. He built it. The letters, the letters to this, in the scripture, the New Testament, to whom were they written? Churches. <laughs> Book of Revelation. To the seven churches. Uh, The ministry is carried out in churches. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 speaks of the gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We are all being equipped right now. I am being equipped. You are being equipped. We are all being equipped for our ministry today, tomorrow, for the years to come. Uh, One of my great prayers for this church, I have for this church, that God will send missionaries and pastors and pastors' wives from this church. I would love to see that. I would love to see people coming from this church. I was taught in Community Baptist Church in Greer, and this is, I love this place. And this is where you want to go and say, I remember my church. When my church sent me from Ohio, folks, you know, I've prayed for that church every day since like 1983 because I'm responsible to them. I have a responsibility. When these people and the missionaries came back, they reported to the church. We grow in a church. We're educated in a church. We have the baptism in our church. We have our Lord's Supper in this church. In a church, folks, this is the setting. This is the greenhouse where God prepares us for the ministry. I love, I love going to school. I love my school. I love it very much. But God sends people from churches. And God help us when our churches fall. When they rebel, because <clears throat> this is where it's all about. This is where it is. This part. This is the strategy that God has set up. 
churches. They pray. They give. Folks, I'm on the receiving end of the offerings. When I was overseas for like 36 years, I was on the receiving end. I thank God for all my churches because they were faithful and they sacrificed for me. And this is what we're doing. We want to sacrifice and give so that God's word will not, never cease to be preached and taught. We are part of that. It's great. We have missionaries, folks, as a card-carrying missionary. Pray for your missionaries. <laughs> really, pray for them. Get their names and pray for them regularly. So they don't stop. They don't stop. Because you know why? They need strength. We need strength. That was our strategy. That's a nice strategy, but folks, we need strength to carry it out. And it's not going to be human strength at all. The mission, uh, let's admit it, we are weak. And we have our weak points. We have our chinks in our armor. We have uh, rust in our armor. It's probably very rust. Elijah, after his great victory, what did he do? Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. What did he do? He bolted. <laughs> he just wiped out 400 false prophets. He just had one of the greatest victories of all time, and the flesh fled. We have weakness. I have weaknesses. Each day was different. Each day is different than the other. And I can't really count on past, six, past success for tomorrow. I can't live on experience. That's like living on fume, on gas fumes. It doesn't work. We admit that we have, we have disadvantages. We, we have disadvantages. Paul tells in the book of Romans, I know in my flesh there dwells no good thing. What? None? Zero. I know that there's nothing good. My, I am carnal, sold under sin. We are easily distracted. We are overwhelmed. And folks, let's admit it. At times, survival is very difficult. <laughs> Just to survive from day to day is a battle. And I'm with you on that. And people tell me how, when people lay their burdens, lay their, lay their life, tell me what's going on in their life, I'm in full agreement. Just to, pass, just to go, just to wake up tomorrow morning is sometimes just a struggle. We need strength. And it's not going to come in from us. Uh, we're tired physically. We're tired, we're, we're perplexed. And we have the adversary. We have, a, we have a very astute adversary that we fight, a spiritual adversary. Our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Folks, never think that people are your enemy. They are not. <laughs> it never says people, it, people are our enemy. It, it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in high places. Folks, this takes it to another tier. This takes it to another level. We have a spiritual, we are this, and we're fighting a spiritual battle. Where do we get the strength to do this, to carry out the mission? Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He was in Ephesus. He said, there's a great door open to me, but there are adversaries, difficulties, burdens, problems I'm going to have to face. And you face them. This is not going to be, this is not going to be easy. Uh, the supply, the source of our strength, where is it going to come? Our need for strength, hmm, yeah, here we go. And the Lord gives us our strength. He tells us the night before he died, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So it wasn't just the apostles, he's talking to us. And he's going to give us the Holy Spirit of God who's going to be with us forever. 
we must not minimize, we must maximize and say, this is our help. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot re receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be with you. Praise God. God is not, the Lord is not sending me out there to say, go do this and, you know, good luck. It's not that way at all. He said, I'm going to give you a helper. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, the advocate comes, the paraclete comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Wonderful. So we're not going in there empty-handed. The Holy Spirit of God has already preceded us. He's already there with us and doing that work for us. We're simply opening the scriptures and the Spirit of God is doing the, the real work. And you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I love it. <laughs> because it's not, I'm not going there empty-handed. Neither are you. John chapter 16, same, same long discourse. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict who? The world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will not see me no longer. But concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is our advantage. This is it. This is our, our strength right here. It's not it's something, it's someone. It's not an object, it's not a possible, it's, it's someone who's the Holy Spirit, God himself is sending us. Zechariah 4, 6 tells us, it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Any work, whatever spiritual work that's done, it's by the prayer, by this word, and by the power of God working in us. Folks, we surrender to that. We give him that and say, wonderful. Revelation 22 and 17 and the spirit and the bride say come. And so we work and God gives us the permission, the privilege, the high calling of really of carrying out and not ceasing to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 4.16 tells us, yeah, the outward man is being dissolved day by day. And folks, I feel it. <laughs> I think that's true. But the Bible also says the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so it's, it's like having like an energy drink where I never had one, but I guess people do have it. So they look, but spiritually speaking, we do have that energy that God gives us day by day to go on. It is not by year by year, but it's day by day. And that's really what God's promises to give to us every moment. Nehemiah 8.10 the joy of the Lord is your strength. We begin to find our joy, our comfort, our satisfaction, not in the world, not in things, not in entertainment, but we find our joy in Christ. And that really becomes our strength to go on, to not to cease and to teach Jesus Christ. In Luke 15 and verse 10, the Lord says, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. How many? One. <laughs> the expected sequel, folks, we are the expected sequel. <laughs> we read about the expected sequel 2,000 years ago. We are the living expected sequel that God looks to right now, that God looks at us and says, 
Community Baptist Church, you're up. <laughs> this evening, God gives us a strategy. Yeah, prayer, his word, he gives us, uh, his word, he gives us to trust in him, to take the small steps. That's his strategy for us. And happily, the strength is gonna come not from within, but it's gonna come upon us from the Lord himself. We rely upon that. We depend upon that to announce him. This evening, we spoke about Jesus, and Peter said there is salvation in no, uh, no other place. It's only one name, that is in Jesus Christ. I hope that you have trusted in that one this evening. I hope really that your faith is built upon him because other foundation can no man lay, which is lay, which is Christ Jesus. And this evening, we will not cease as a church, as individuals, we will not cease to teach and to preach Jesus Christ as Lord and the Savior and coming King. May we pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness this evening. We pray now, help us for the days to come to look to you. We need your strength. We are weak, fallible, frail, fragile, all of that. And we need the Spirit of God working in our lives this evening. Help us be faithful to you. And we ask your blessing. We expect you really to work in our lives. And we'll thank you in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.